The Collective Potential podcast believes that when we share vulnerably, we create aha moments in our lives. We are about real conversations with real people. Myself, Jeremy and Ryan hope to be helpful by providing people a space to listen, share and connect with people who live authentic and purpose-filled lives. And we know that today's topic, we're bringing on Georgia Hocking and something that is not always spoken about, suicide. And the myths behind copycats, the list goes on of why we shouldn't talk about this. But today, we want to show up and hear what she has to say. Connection. Real world. People. Everywhere. Collective potential. We're all the same. But when I think about um, uh, conversations around suicide, even bringing up with people uh, that we should do this topic for our podcast, it was all, oh, 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 I don't know about that. It's mm. We have to be careful. Maybe we should get a psych in. We should think about that. And when I was talking about doing this topic to other friends, they were like, oh, and they would just pause and not really have anything to say, which is what made me think we needed to have this conversation. Mm. And it... Um, I looked up the definition of uh, suicide in the on Google and it said it is the act of deliberately or intentionally killing oneself. How do you guys feel about that before I intro uh, Georgia? Um, yeah, yeah I, feel, I mean, like I, I felt uncomfortable about you. You wanted to do this topic for a while and it never really sat f- fully comfortably with me, but it was only last week where I was like, I was saying this before, but like I felt really like, of course we need to talk about this. Of course it should be an open conversation. Um, and then inquire into why I feel uncomfortable, inquire into other, why other people feel uncomfortable, what it is that it... Um, so I'm, I'm really lit up by talking about it, but at the same time I've got this um, solemn feeling of um, what we're approaching. But I'm, I feel like it's just it's got a heart at the middle of it. Yeah, I think that too. It's, it's having these conversations in... A place that comes from that spirit of helping people and understanding, which is why I'm like really excited to hear George's story. Yeah. Well, excited might not be the right word, but it's like, um, I what, think it's important, you know. What, what, like one of the problems I think that's happening with humanity is we don't listen, we don't understand each other. So anything that increases that understanding, um, can only be a good thing. Mm. So we've all been infected by suicide um, in different ways, but the reason I um, thought, why don't we bring in Georgia Hocking, who I've known for years. She's been a youth worker, still is, um, done amazing social change projects in for multiculturalism and diversity. Um, and I just think that with all of the background in social work and, um, and counselling, that Georgia has an interesting story to tell at this stage of her life. So thanks, Georgia, so much for coming on board with us. Um, tell me, what do you think of when I say suicide is the act of deliberate, deliberately killing oneself? Um, I feel sadness. Like it really hits you. There's no escaping it when you hear a definition like that. Isn't it? Mm. Really, there's no escaping. Um, can you tell us why do you want to be on here today? Can you tell us a bit of what you hope to get across? Um, Why I wanted to come here today is because suicide, like, has been a theme throughout my life, just in professionally working with other people, but I always thought it was something that happened to other people. 
until one day it happened to my brother. So the reason why I want to be here is because I truly believe that if it can happen to Ben, it can happen to anyone. And there was so many people I think that would be listening to this and be like, I know somebody, my brother, my sister. Um, And recently a friend of mine, her sister had um, committed suicide and she went crazy. You know, like I hate to say it in such a phrase, but she was, she just didn't know how to handle what had happened. Her sister was such a shock. It was so violent and she had no answers. And, you know, I just really think about her when I'm having this conversation too, of just how much over the six months I had to sit with her and talk with her and be there with her. And I think that's why I felt so passionate too, because... I didn't know what to do. She didn't know what to do. Georgia, what do you do after your brother passes away? What did, what did you go through? Um, to be completely honest, the week after it happened, I was actually suicidal myself. I just thought there's no point in being here. How do you come back from something like this? Because we'd lost my mother only 18 months before. So we'd gone from a family of six, team hocking, what we used to call ourselves, to four people. Um, and after we got back from the crash site, we were at my um, stepmum's house and we all looked at each other around in the lounge room in the eyes and we said, no more, like, no matter how bad things get, you've got to, we've got to tell each other. Um, and so from that week, I was a mess. I was having panic attacks. I had to sleep with the light on. I still do. And I couldn't sleep in a bed by myself. Um, and you know, like this permanent adrenaline in my arms and legs, which I've been told is kind of the trauma um, after what we saw. And I fell in a heap um, for a while. But then um, I went and started seeing a specialist um, in suicide um, through the Jesuit Social Service. I started going weekly. Um, I started exercising. I started deep breathing before I went to sleep so that... um, I wouldn't have nightmares or dreams about what had happened. Because these are all the solutions you were given. Yeah. 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 How does the breathing help? Um, so because of the the situation that with Ben's death, we were all traumatised because we found Ben. Um, and so how trauma can manifest in the body is that it accelerates your heartbeat. And I was on, they call it hyper alert. So because it happened to Ben and I hadn't picked it up, I kept thinking it was going to happen to everyone else. So your heart beats really fast, you're really sweating and all this sort of stuff. And so you need to lay down in your bed and just like count to three, take a breath in and it slows your body down. And I also have to think of three things that I'm going to do the next day to block out the thoughts of everything that's happened. So that Mm. I found helpful. Mm. Can I ask, um, even throwing it out to all of us, like think about the most traumatic experience you've had in your life. Right. And, you know, it's not always the most pleasant memories. Um, So, you know, I also putting out to people as they listen to this to think about their own trigger warnings and make sure that um, post-conversation that they have their three things of what they can Mm -hmm. do for themselves. But we'll come back to that. But for you guys, like, think that's what really amazes me is your brother ended his life. Mm -hmm. And it's so sad. I couldn't even imagine but the impact on you and your family was mm. something that probably you never could have ever imagined what happens around suicide. Like think about the trauma you have and you go, how do we deal, how do you deal with that? Mm. You know? Mm. 
So I'm curious, you know, with um, thinking about the trauma that you has impacted you, mm. Georgia, how the hell are you sitting in this studio having this conversation with us? I honestly believe, and like for that first week after Ben's, be- uh, Ben's death, I wasn't, but I honestly, that conversation where we all looked each other in the eye, the family members, I get up every day and I do whatever it takes because I don't want my family to have, ever have to go through the pain of this again because no one in my family, if anything more happens like this, no one would survive it. Like we've been through enough. Mm. You really have. Mm. How did the um, community react? Um, shock and disbelief. Um, but one of the most beautiful things is me and my, so I've got two sisters, one's Hayley and she's um, 28 and I've got a younger sister, Maddie, and she's 20. And we all play netball together um, for the Frankston bombshells. And our netball team and football club were amazing. They had a chaplain come out and run a night for the whole club to talk about suicide and suicide prevention. Mm. They put, you know, like the little ads in the newspaper just like to honour Ben. Um, they all came to the funeral like that it's been really incredible. There's been lasagnas left at our doors, flowers at the tree where Ben died, like just been incredible. Mm. What's what's your um, reasons why you feel it's not easily to talk about as, as people and as a community? One, I think because it's never spoken about. So until I did a um, PD with Assist, their company through LifeWorks, because of a job that I had. Um, sorry, do- what's a PD? Oh, sorry, per- uh, professional development. Yep, okay. Um, and so I had to do that because I was a residential carer and because suicide was really high. So I had to go to that PD. So I became comfortable with talking about it because I had two days of professionals talking to me about it and telling me it was okay. Um, but I think other people aren't is because people have said to me, you know, like, um, if we talk about it, are people going to be more likely to take their life? So that's a myth that gets spread, which is actually mm. completely not true. I'd mm. like to spend a bit of time on this one because this yeah. one really gets me going a bit. Um, and I know it's the rebel in me, but, yeah, can you speak to that a bit more? Yeah, of course. Um, so basically if someone is walking around with thoughts of suicide in their head, they're already there. They just might not be communicating them. So if you are able to have that conversation with someone, they actually kind of feel relieved that you can handle hearing where they're at and you can kind of help them. Um, so, yeah, that's mm. – so it's not a bad thing to talk about it because it's already there. Mm. You're just bringing it to the surface. Mm. And, like, I remember – I don't know about you guys, but if, if I was being honest, when I – I've had many times over my life where I've had suicidal thoughts. I'm mm. like, if I have to go through another family issue, you mm. know, very similar to you um, – tragedy and tragedy I'm just like if I have to do this again I just I can't do it Mm. I can't be here and I know that I would never have spoken to anyone about that Mm. ever is it is it it this because I can relate to this um I've thought about suicide when I was really depressed as well um for me I suppose I mean I'm just trying to break it down like suicide's a consequence of severe mental illness right Sometimes. Sometimes, not yeah. always. Okay. Not always. Could you give us the examples when it's not and when yeah, it is? Yeah, of course. So what um, can happen is, so some people do have mental illness and it can lead to thoughts of suicide and then making a plan and ultimately taking their life. And then for some other people, like my brother Ben, what can happen is that they might be up and down. They might be going through a bit of a hard time, but then it's almost like the straw that breaks the camel's back. 
something might happen and they go into crisis. So what can be common is a, a relationship breakup, financial stress if someone's in a lot of debt. Yeah, that's um, a huge one, yeah, isn't it? So Pressure, yes. embarrassment, humiliation. Yeah. Yep. Shame. And shame. Shame, yeah. And they kind of fast track it. And so mm. then someone will snap and, yeah, ultimately make the decision to take their life. So wow. So it's, just, it's, it's essentially pressure of what... But that's a, that's a form of severe men- – because, I mean, mental illness is just basically unstable mm. um, thoughts. So in, yeah. the, in the both situations, one's just more slow-growing and one's mm. just rapid. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like, so what do you feel um, if you had to talk about a solution – not a solution, but, you know, like a um, prevention or a um, – in your in your understanding, what do you feel like is the number one? If if anyone is out there having these kind of thoughts, mm-hmm. what would you say to them, or what would you feel is um is the best next step for them? Them, I would say tell someone um, about how you're feeling, and if you're too scared to tell a friend or a family member or a teammate, call Lifeline because you can call anonymously. They don't know who you are, mm. and they're professional, so nothing you can say is going to be anything that they haven't heard before. But right. also sometimes, sadly, people think that when people take their lives that they walk around for two weeks depressed and crying and that's actually not it at all, the symptoms. So really what we need to do is talk to um, the people around them because people go into almost a zombie-like state yes, and they can't pull themselves out of it. Yeah. And so really what my message would be is for everyone else to look out Flag for it. them. Yep. Yeah, that's really good. So I, like apathy, like the apathetic kind of state where you're like, it, like just nothing, you don't feel anything yeah. anymore. It's not, yep. yeah, yeah, how do you pull yourself out of that? You, you can't. A lot well, of the time people well, can't. This well, is that, the point though, right? Well, yeah. that's the interesting thing. I felt like it was anyone, anything anyone would say to me when I felt really mentally or wouldn't help me. Mm. Wouldn't, it wouldn't resolve it. It wouldn't make me feel better. Mm. Wouldn't like you're, you're so very stuck when mm. you're in that steep mental state of wider neural pathways that have just like a negative and you keep slipping down and keep slipping mm. down. Um, like, what is it like? I mean, for me, it was like a few epiphanies of like, wait a minute, even if I did die, that means my life's over. I don't know what's next. Mm. Um, so I may as well, I know life can be good <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> so I may as well try to seek that out. And then I started going, wait a minute, life is a miracle. It's a miracle to even exist. Like we mm. can't fathom it all. Mm. Um, and still, you know, like it's, it's a, a series of a few epiphanies like that where it made me go, to made me wake up to it. Mm. Um, but boy, I can relate to that being stuck feeling. Mm. Um, and, and, and I love what we're talking about in terms of the sense of, I think it's great to talk about because it's like we, we, we need to be, as a community, be so in touch with each other and, and realize that the severity of someone's well-being can slip down a very dark mm. place very quickly. Like mm. when you were talking about how quickly it happened and there's no signs, it's just like, what a shock. So, and and um, and I feel like that says to us, says to me, be extra alert, you know, mm. be extra sensitive to people's bad moods or mm. and don't fu- don't fucking jump on their back if they're in a grump. Um just man, empathy, empathy, empathy. Like mm. I feel like alert, alert community. We need to be, you know, in that kind of mindset. Mm. When um, so before I did this podcast and I was at uni, I actually did a um, like a, a feature article on the fact that the suicide rate in males is three to one to mm. females. Uh, that was in twenty fourteen. Um, so I spoke to a whole bunch of so like, it's seventy five percent suicides in male. Yeah, well, three to one. Yeah. I don't, my maths is not good. So, <laughs> oh, so three um, to one. So I thought so. so one, one in every four. three. 
Oh, sorry. Sorry, yeah. I got a percentage wrong. Um, I like the other percentages over. So I, I, I spoke to a psychologist and a couple of men's groups, and what pretty much what I ended up finding out of that was it was the fact that men in our culture, which is a quite a ma- hyper-masculine culture, aren't okay to express their feelings and express their shame. Yeah. And whereas women are more likely to call up a friend and be yeah. like, oh, I'm feeling horrible. Yeah, so men diffuse the negative, yeah, the bad energies. Well, yeah. You can't, you know, you can't show any emotion for men, which is worse because what happens is you block all your emotion, which you get into that despair feeling of, I don't feel anything anymore. Yep. Um, instead of actually ex- healing those emotions by feeling them. Man. So it's, it's got to be a cultural thing where, which is why I think podcasts like this are so important. You know, even if you're a, if you're a male listening to this, be like, okay, maybe I should ask my friends how they are and give them a hug. Or, you know, if you're a female, it's tell the guy friends, you know, it's okay to 100%. talk about how you're feeling, man. Like it doesn't make you any less of a man to do so. It's um, oh, the, the, really important. Fuck, the facade around what men should be is just mental illness in itself. Like the testosterone fueled, I'm a male, all this bollocks that is just exasperating such a weak, shallow frequency inside our species is like it bothers me tremendously <laughs> but i think what if you look if we explore that and go okay what need do men have to feel a certain way it's just belonging so it's like we need to make it um socially acceptable to belong being a man that expresses his emotions in an authentic way um without the fear of being you know it's that human fear of being outcasted in your tribe or whatever mm. um just making it okay to be emotional we're making the new standard it, um, it's expected, you know, like I think if, if Ben or like anyone that's feeling these feelings, um, if it was expected or standard for, for, for our feelings to be communicated and shared in a community and like in a Wednesday night meeting with your dear ones, uh, just having conversations around how you're going, how you're feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that, that kind of was an expectation or a standard in our community, then I think that would be the world of difference. Cause we're tribal, you know, we're social creatures and we, um, there's so much separation and so much divide. I know, I'm, I'm preaching to the converted and I don't even like being preachy, but um, no, I feel but I, I think lit you, up by this stuff. And you, what I'm thinking about, what you guys are talking about, I just I looked on um, the World Health Organization stats and it said over 800,000 people die due to suicide every year. This is worldwide. Mm. Um, and for every suicide, there are many more who attempt suicide. So there's 800,000, if you think about it. And then the attempt suicide. Um, and I just think that, um, mm-hmm. you know, that's, the, and it's a leading cause between, of death between eight, 15 to 29 year olds and not even thinking about it. The as leading cause of death, wait, repeat that, leading suicide, cause of death. According to the World Health Organization, suicide is the second leading cause of death amongst eight, 15 to 29 year olds. What's the number Is that one? globally? That's globally. Mm. Um, that's insane. Mm. It's even in Australia and, um, I don't want to get my statistics wrong, but when I did my assignment, it was a leading cause of Australian males. Mm. And it was, I think it was between uh, 18 and 35 or 45. Mm. So that's um, the struggle with the growing up. Mm. Yeah. So it's sort of that middle thing. But if you think about like what, our, what we put our money into as a culture, like you see TAC ads on every road talking about the death toll on the roads. Yet... Um, I know Jason Ball from the Greens was talking about how the um, government would, you know, cutting funding from mental illness and all these mm. organisations are shutting down, yet it's not, it's not what's actually mm. harming us. Mm. 
is even to the extent. Oh man, the, yeah. Well, I, that's why I think it's very important. Sorry, just to jump in here, we need to talk about it as a me as media. You know, like as a responsibility mm. to talk about these things because they're not. They're talking about terrorists, tax killing a few people, and which are equally fucking terrible. But th- this stuff needs to be brought into mainstream attention because it's so important. <laughs> It's interesting, isn't it? Just even the the silence just then, like it is such a huge problem mm. and we're seeing the realness, the truth of it everywhere. And even when as we talk, we always get into this conversation about what's contributing to this. Like I think mm. about your brother and um, what was he like? You know, like yeah. if we're talking mm. about, um, mm. uh, if we're talking about people not belonging and you know, what we assume is going on in the world. Mm. What was he like? So Ben was 22 years old um, and he had big hazel eyes and brown hair. He was really tanned. Um, he was probably the best looking of the bunch of us. He was a cutie. Legs, I remember thinking eyes. that. Yeah, he was a very, <laughs> very big cutie. And he was charismatic. Um, he was like the joker of the group. You could dare him to do anything and he would do it. And he was also um, really family orientated like almost abnormally so, like we live in Somerville and Ben would order, you know, Summy Thai and there might be a 15-minute gap for when they would prepare, prepare it and he would drive to our house to see us and visit us in that 15 minutes. I mean, who does that? Like <laughs> he was just so sweet and he was a nerd and he didn't care. He loved Pokemon, still played that till he was 22. <laughs> um, yeah, just... Re- and really innocent um, and really open with his emotions. He wasn't afraid to cry or to say that he missed mum or that he loved us or anything like that. He wasn't, yeah, afraid of that. Mm. And had he gone for any, like, big things in his life, um, like things, challenges that he overcame in his whole life? Well, when, um, so my mum was an alcoholic, so growing up life was pretty challenging. And when I was 17... So Ben maybe was probably 14. We actually left her and went to live with my dad. And that was pretty challenging. And um, Ben was a bit of a smart ass at school, like to give the teachers a little bit of crap mm-hmm. and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't really know how, but that all kind of happened at year 10. And they used to play fight club at um, lunchtime. Um, but he up like he kind of thrived. Like he was 18 months off from finishing his plumbing um, trade and he went to do that late. Um, he was a father, so they had a, him and his partner had an unplanned baby, um, but who ended up being this beautiful little girl called Annabella, who's mm. nearly two. So definitely that and my mother's death, um, she had liver failure and we actually nursed her to her death. And unfortunately, my dad and sister had to go get some medicine to help her. And so it was just me, my brother and my little sister in the room when she passed um, with a nurse. So that was definitely traumatic and my brother and my mum were thick as thieves. Ben was the favourite, we always used to say, <laughs> the only boy. Um, so definitely that. Um, but he was so resilient, always had a smile on his face. He had like 22 grand saved in the bank on an apprentice wage. I mean, how do you do that? Like, That's very yeah. true. So mm. that makes it even more shocking, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I listen to that and think he'd had enough. Mm. You know, it's like another thing. And like you said, you just don't know in that moment. It's just he'd brought his lunch earlier that day. And it makes me think about people who are listening to this. Like I can't help but think through that story, Georgia. Mm-hmm. And tell me what you think of this. To be more grateful for my life. 
you know, it's like I don't know why or how it happened and I feel for it, but it really the story almost bounces back at me of what have I got in it now? Mm. Like to hear you say my mum, all the stories growing up, now you've lost your brother. Mm. Don't get me wrong, I'm not putting you on a pedestal yeah. um, for how you're dealing with all of this, but, you know, do you know what I mean, guys? Like, mm. of course he got to a point and he said, I, you don't, you never know what went through his head, but I, I can't help but go, fuck, I just need to be grateful for what I do have in my life. Mm. And Yeah, it's pretty I, – I found that shocking when you – like the surprise factor hit me more, you know, there's no telltale signs and, um, and some of the attributes he has, I can relate to as a person. And, um, and, and it scares me, you know, it scares me. Um, like we never know what's going, what challenges we're facing inside our others, inside their own heads, you know? Um, when you enter that sort of flight or fight response, which I can only imagine is probably in, you know, trauma, um, that you're not really thinking it's more everything's very impulsive and mm. so i think it's that you know what would if if you call someone and feel like i'm feeling shit i'm having these thoughts it's you're that mirror and it's i think it's just yeah, so, yeah. so important to make that an okay thing man mirrors and mirrors and my friendships are the most valuable thing i've got like a handful of, only a handful of friends that are so honest with me mm. about how i'm behaving or thinking or feeling that they literally don't give a shit what how it affects me. They just mirror it, and that makes them a f- the best friends because mm-hmm. it's like because um, they really love me. You know, if they if they know that they don't need to be precious or f- protect their this fragility of our friendship, if they can mm-hmm. do that, that that's that that's what keeps me in a good space. Mm-hmm. And I and, we, and I need that. Like I feel actually I need that for me to operate well as a human being. Um, and the fact that it's so un Unannounced. I think one one thought that came to me that I could relate to um, being in that kind of state is like that. I'm just trying to think of other ways we can help people um, who are in similar states um, come out. Um, and one one thing I remember feeling quite strongly is this sense of just running the opposite direction to where I felt like running. Um, so, like. Um, because you need to kind of break the ice or crack through this mm-hmm. mentality that's slipping you one way. And so right, I'm going that way. So I'm going to do the opposite and just be loudly vocal about what I'm feeling or just do anything to just, because it's like, you know, when you're stuck, you kind of mm-hmm. need it. And the analogy of being stuck in something, you need to do something rapid to punch out of that state. You can't, well, you can, I mean, you can gradually climb out of it as well, but um, both work, but you know, like what helped for you and the it helped for me to just be overtly the opposite. Um, I feel like Can you not, give an example? Oh, like I felt like I didn't want to tell anyone how I was feeling. I didn't want to tell the people, my family that I was feeling like I don't really care about living or dying. I don't, I don't care about waking up. Um, I just have got no interest in it. I've got more interest. I'm more curious about what the, like when I was looking at this stormy night, when I was looking at the ocean and stuff like more, I'm curious about seeing where that ends. Um, and that, and, um, and I had a, few, a series of a few, well, I felt like more miracle moments when my family came to me my little sister came to me in those in that space that felt like a, a godsend or a, um, some kind of divine intervention. Mm. Um, but but yeah, I, th- I think before that had happened, there was a few moments where I was just like trying to like just tell someone what I feel in, in a really over the top way, just because I was reacting to myself being so quiet. Um, I, was, I was like feeling really quiet and didn't want to talk about things. And then so I'd um, to counteract that repetitive 
um, lower in cycle, I just try to crack the opposite, you know, if that makes sense. And it's so different for every person, right? Ah, so true. There's solutions. But so I, just, true. I hear that, Jez, and go, oh, yeah, that makes so much sense about you. Mm. Um, you know, if, I think there's the other way too of being incredibly nurturing to yourself, mm. you know. Mm. I failed a bit here. Mm. In actual fact, I failed a lot this last year. And I've learned a lot from my failure. That's great, yeah. You know, and in actual fact, I'm going to celebrate my failures because they're going to make me grow. Like, imagine we lived in a world that taught us to celebrate yeah, our failures, true. you know. Um, That's brilliant. What was the time when you could have been more kind to yourself oh, this year? Oh, I think I did a... Um, <laughs> it's yeah. like, well, what time haven't I? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, seriously, I really, yeah, we say it all the time, but I really uh, believe in the nurturing thing because I, I think we live in a very masculine society that, tells you to push and what I've learned for me as a female mm. or is maybe getting more in touch with what my feminine side is and to come back and go, Great. Oh, I forgive myself on every level and every way for how Great. I treat myself and, you know, my thoughts are creating my reality right now, but that's okay because in a moment or another day I can look back and think, I wish I, wish I was kinder to myself for that month mm. and it still happens to me, you know, like... I'm like, oh, I should have done better at doing that podcast. I'm going to get out my pen and paper and script it and write about it this time. And it just creates such a an energetic push of trying to be something that I'm not because it's also coming from a really bad place in those moments. So I try to catch myself when I'm pushing to create change, mm. to actually bring myself back more to, Emily, you're wonderful just as you are. Mm. Hey, Georgia, has your view mm. changed on... Suicide since that happened to you, brother? Um, absolutely. Like, I find that I can't really do small talk anymore. Um, and, like, one of my jobs, I'm a youth worker as well, and it's all about doing well-being and all that sort of stuff. But I can't go back to it yet because I just want to keep talking about suicide prevention. Um, like, I thought I – ironically enough, this last six months, suicide's been a theme in my workshops, and I think it's because suicide's actually increasing – um, slightly at the moment. And, you know, like there is kind of that helpless feeling of when someone says that they feel that way or that they've lost someone of what's the right thing to say or how can I help them? Mm. Um, but I feel like after going through what I've gone through, my view has definitely changed. I just have so much um, empathy and respect for the people that have passed, but not only like their families. Um, I just think, yeah, it's... It's like living in a different world, to be honest, and I feel like only the people that are the survivors of suicide understand mm. kind of the mm. way that we see the world now. Mm. Is there an idea of why so this is increasing? That. Sorry, what did you say? Is there, a, is there sort of an idea on why the suicide rate's increasing? Um, I was listening today to um, an audio book that was talking about choice anxiety and the fact that there's so many options. And so me and my housemate, many. Sam, were talking about the... Um, the fact that we get told all through primary school and high school that you can be whatever you want mm. and then we all go to uni and then what happens is you graduate uni and now we're going to a world where jobs are completely changing and 
in a lot of jobs that just aren't there anymore. And this whole, the whole university system has completely changed. Mm. And the so, pressures of what expectations on society and what it is to be a successful human being and all that stuff. Mm. Absolutely. I think there's pressure to have your shit together by the yeah. time you're in your twenties. Yeah. I yeah. mean, on the Mornington Peninsula, it'd probably be rare if like I'm 25 and I'm not pregnant or don't have a house or a degree. So that's, mm. I'd probably, you know, don't fit the mold. Mm. And so I think it's that. And I also think that people have no education about suicide. So I'm, like something I've learned through, I'm kind of a little bit obsessed with understanding a little bit more, um, is that people tell their friends and people's friends don't know what to do because why seriously. would you know what to do? Mm. Mm. And so they don't know to take it seriously. For example, Ben actually told his friends the night before that he was feeling suicidal, but that we never heard that. Mm. Had that been told to me, like, guarantee you hand on heart, Ben would still be here because I know what to do. But he was at a party. His mates probably said, you know, innocently enough, have another beer, tap on the shoulder, you'll be right. And they text him the next day. So I believe it's because it's unknown. So people don't know what to do. So it's a lack of education. Mm. And I also think that growing up too, like technology is changing everything. People, I text my brother the night that he passed where yeah. 10 years ago, that would have been a phone call or even 10 years before that, it would have been a conversation in person and you can pick up so much more mm. on what you see in front of you than a text. A text doesn't convey tone or anything. So true, George. There's almost, there has to be some ph- physiological, look, I can't even say the bloody word, of this from texting, mm. from only doing t- communication, we're missing like some innate need to connect. Of like, course. We talk about it all with collective potential, but at the mm. core, the workshop that I'm running, why the, well, I'm doing this podcast is about connection because all of this technology has so much amazing innovation. I'm mm. so glad I'm a part of this generation without a doubt, but you're right. Like that's what gets me geared up of people are scared to have these conversations and go a little step further in or step into mm. that uncomfortability because they're just not used to it. Yeah. Like I, why do you reckon I get so enraged when I hear the friends didn't say anything? Mm. Um, because I, with the, we only know what we know. They weren't educated on their knowing themselves. Yeah. Like I mm. actually feel like it's not even in a, to take it back a notch. It's more than just education. I mean, you can might disagree with this, but I feel like an education on suicide is actually education of understanding ourselves. Mm. Um, because when you really understand yourself, you know, the pits, you know, your goods, you know, your bads, you know, why you love yourself, you know, why you hate yourself. Um, mm. and there's no real mainstream narrative around learning us. I mean, there is more with the internet. The beautiful thing about the internet, there are cultures and like great Facebook pages like um, Collective Evolution and great spiritual that. science and really mm. good pages that feed good news that teaches mm-hmm. us about ourselves. But um, that narrative needs to come into Melbourne community and um, in, in ways like collective potential reach, all that um, stuff. Do, do you agree? I totally agree. I um I've been doing a Facebook post to kind of try to change the stigma because yeah. Ben was 22. So Just people, how old I am. Yeah. Oh, you're 22. People your age aren't going to go to a website necessarily to get information. They use social media. So every day I post a myth about suicide or post about a great organisation and what they're doing to get the message out. But one of the things that I did, I think you're um, touching on a really good point, is I said if Ronda Rousey was running a workshop on – MMA, who would go? Like, I would be there. I would drink water from Cannonook Creek if that's what it took. That's a really dirty river down in Mexico. Um, and obviously one of your biggest Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And one of your biggest oh, if LeBron James was running something on basketball, like, we would all, like, 
get there in a second. Yeah, get there in a second. And they are the best at what they do. And yet counsellors, in my opinion, are the best in what they do. And there is such a stigma about going and seeing them. People don't go until it's too late. People think Mm. that you have to have a problem to go to a counsellor. But if it was more socially acceptable to learn about yourself, um, to be the best person that you can be, Mm. people would have the tools before things go too far like so true isn't it interesting like i i think what you like the al gore analogy how he says that humans or many people have said it but humans only react when it's at, they're at breaking point they never mm. react previously yeah and to, i i feel like what you're saying there is the, the the how we can rewire that is um is just changing changing things before you know mm. and even you said what, it better <laughs> well, and what i like about what you're doing is when it's happened to you speak about it yeah be the ones to, you know, the world dilemma put out that the world needs more healers, speakers, mm. um, doctors, because there's too many people who are suffering compared to how many healers and speakers and coaches there are in the world mm. or counsellors. Even though we think it can be somewhat saturated, there's actually way more people. Well, the, well, the influencers of the world are, are, aren't, aren't all those things, are they? The influential leaders, the politicians, the celebrities, then the people that with the biggest voices mm. speak in very low frequency of, mm. of no, no healing, no love, no, you know. It's people trying. Like yeah. Your, your mate Russell. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's people trying, and some people are mean. Well, as well, you know. That would be Russell Brand, in case you're wondering. Yeah. There's good. There are good people also just doing the best they can. Like you said, mm-hmm. the friends. I feel like it's really important speaking to the friends that, and and everyone in the situation. Like everyone is doing what the best they can, really. Mm-hmm. Um. And and the problem is the 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 education of our culture. I I think. Absolutely. I like hold nothing against the yeah. friends. I, oh, yeah. And yeah, when no I said malice, that before, yeah. that was me in that mode of why do I get so upset yeah. about that? But Jeremy answered it. It was that we actually live in a society that mm. is curbing their uh, ability to talk. So, yeah. I, I, And I think that's why I like you here today. I not even think I know because I just, you know, there's a woman who's been in one of our programs and um, it's like this two-day program and I call it grit because it's about the passion, passion, perseverance and stamina it takes to achieve a long-term goal. That's great. Now, this is a study by a positive psych, um, mm. psych- psychologist called um, Angela Duckworth. But the beautiful thing about why I do two days of self-exploration um, and I think it's very bloody cool to care about yourself or learn about what's impacting you or what's not, is that this woman who came into it, had I... It's those stories that I just want to keep getting people like you in Georgia because even this woman that came to the program, post-event, she's suicidal, right? And she knows it. And had she not walked into this program and said, please give me something that's different um, and I just need to be supported by a group of people who see that I'm good enough. And she's 50, Mm. right? So we're not talking young either. Like Mm. she's going through years and years and years of trauma, Um, but I spoke to her on the phone today and I just thought to myself after thinking that you were coming on, I could just end it, you know, like you come to a two-day and then that's it and then come to another workshop and you get a top-up. But I knew internally if I just left her based on what, you know, she's bought the package, then that would be it. So I had to actually talk myself into you need to make time to ring that woman, mm. go that extra mile and say, listen, I'm going to have another session with you. What else do you need? I'm not very well today. 
Um, and again, wasn't well, didn't want to come and see me. So then I got on the phone again and said, listen, I want to make sure you go and see somebody. What else do you need? And it's the extra effort, you know, like I think about what I can hear from you. Is it? It's about asking people to make that effort. Absolutely. So like to look, when someone's in that state, they can't pull themselves out all of the time. Mm. So if, you know, someone like what I think you were talking about before is that connection. You know, if someone ha- breaks through and says, Benny, you're okay, you seem a bit off or whatever it is, it's a reach for help. And they say that um, that when someone is suicidal, they can often give you an invitation that may not look like an invitation that they need help, that they don't want to end their life. Sometimes mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. when they tell you, mm-hmm. I'm having thought to suicide. Or it could be a kid that the class has ended, but he's hanging around at the end of the classroom um, to talk to the teacher, but he's waiting for them to talk to him. So I think like mm-hmm. what you're doing there is mm-hmm. just looking for those invitations. Mm-hmm. No that's, one wants to die. That's a really good point, what you're saying there. I like yeah. that it's called invitations too. Yeah. Like how many of you think about your friends? Oh, I can't be bothered. And so some days you go, all right, here we go. I've got stuff to do. Like I get busy and I tell myself I'm busy. Like it's actually mm-hmm. an invitation. Someone's asking you, please come and sit down with me mm-hmm. and just say, you're going to be all right. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, th- I love the, the no one wants to die thing. There is yeah. always, there is always, no matter how dark you go, there is always a part of you go, wait a minute, I don't think I should do this, mm. you know, and speak. Um, and there will be, there's a good chance. I think there will be often be some kind of little sign niggle or something. Um, I suppose you just ha- have to hope that there's someone around that's not just as suffering as much. You know, we're all suffering in our own ways. Mm. We're all struggling with our own battles. And that's why it's not um, that easy always to be a support to someone. You know, like I, I could be a better support to some t- people when I'm not feeling great. Um, yeah, like someone could say to you, I'm okay, <clears throat> um, but I'm just having a bad day. Mm. But really, they've had a bad week. Yeah. They've had a bad month. They've had a bad year. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, it makes me emotional to think that that's just sitting underneath a person too. Well, it's just, it just beats you right down, doesn't it? Like mm. I, I know people in my life that are heavily depressed and they still try to come back up. And, but generally there's, there's such a tremendous weight on them. Um, it's, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad. And it's every day distilling and sitting on them and pushing them down further. Um, and it's a, it's, it's a horrible way to exist. And that we just get so busy. I mean, I'm a second year studying social work at Vic Uni. I've been a youth worker for that many years, I can't even count. Um, I have done a professional development in suicide first aid, suicide prevention. But Ben had been living with us for the last three weeks as he'd broken up with his partner. And I was going to uni and then doing a night shift in hospitality. And the day before Ben took his life, I was hungover because I went out the night before. So I was laying on my couch when I sent that text message. Like It just br- honestly breaks my heart that I was so busy in, you know, helping people in my degree and getting through, you know, the week trying to survive that I wasn't even there to notice that my own brother was drowning. Um, And that's something that I have to live with and it's one of the hardest things but I think that's the message that I want to get through um, too is that we don't have to be so busy. Like, I don't know, like, Mm. yeah. Oh, it just makes me so, so emotional to hear you say that because it's, it's so true. Mm. We're so busy and we forget about the people that are around us. They really need us. 
the day Ben passed, um, I had a Sunday, I had a lunch shift, and so I was meant to give him a lift back to his car, but I was going to be late, so I didn't. And then we went back there that day because we just moved house, and my boyfriend Grant was helping me put my bed together, and I saw Ben again, but he was on the phone, and I said to Grant. Oh, I'm just going to say goodbye to Ben. He said, oh, just leave him. He's on the phone. And Ben had asked me to have family dinner with him that night. And I said, oh, I'm staying at Grant's because we only see my partner on Sunday nights from working hospitality. And he said, oh, bring Grant. But we didn't. We stayed at Grant's house. And so all those missed opportunities, like, I didn't know, like, obviously. Of course. But just the busyness, just not knowing, you know, it's very hard. I read a... Um a quote the other other day that said, stop the glorification of busy. Mm. I actually don't even say, people say to me, oh, Emily, you're doing podcasts, you're doing this, you're doing that and the workshops and um, and people say you must be busy. And I'm very clear that I say I'm not busy. I've stricken the word from my vocabulary. Mm. We get used to just saying it, mm. but I think busy is something that we're trying to hide our emotions to or our, you know, not Focusing, we, being we kind present. of use it as a palm off. We like, completely use it. I don't want to, you know, like someone invites you up coffee, you don't want to see or whatever, and it's like, oh, sorry, I'm busy. It's like you're not busy. You just mm. you've got other priorities. And you're, yep. uh, there was a really good essay. There's a on theminimalists.com called "Not Busy but Focused," yeah. and it just completely flips the frame around it, mm. which is quite good because I think when you say you're busy too, you kind of get like chuffed, not chuffed, but um. You overwhelm yeah, yourself just it, in the language. Again, it's a, it's a glorification. I'm yeah. busy, so I'm very important. I'm doing well, yeah. yeah. Mm. yeah. But I think that was really touching what you just said then of yeah. just a, glim- a glimmer of a moment of I think sometimes people go, oh, I, I don't have time to get around to everybody in my mm. life. I don't think that's what you're, you were saying. Mm. I think it's just become aware of what is important in those moments mm. and who are you doing it for, right? Mm. And you can't think like that all the time. Like mm. that's not what you were thinking in that moment of disregarding mm. your brother. It was yeah. just habit and it's just life. So I think that is a really stunning, helpful, powerful reminder mm. for me at least of do I need to stop in this moment mm. and really ask somebody how they are. Mm. What's really important, you know, do you feel um, – how do you feel like you've resolved it or continue to resolve it? Like, is there a practice with, you know, yourself, the blame that you s- mm-hmm. touched on that you feel a bit? Mm-hmm. Um, or was that just more of a logical thing that, like, because no one can foresee this stuff, no. particularly with the way it was happened. And also, um, it's just, it's just nothing, you know, it's, it's completely, I, I just hope in my heart that you feel resolved about it. That's what I'm trying to say. And I'm interested in how you do that. At first I wasn't. And it was really hard. Like a lot of us had our own, like a lot of the people in my family had our own ifs and regrets. But my older sister was the last person to see my brother alive before he walked out the door. And she said, Benny, is there anything I can do for you? And he said, no. And she said, I love you. And he said, I love you too. So she knows that there's not one thing more that she could have done in that moment. And I think counselling has been the thing there. Because you go and you talk it out. So... Like I was kind of explaining to the guys earlier that when suicide happens, there's no answer. When someone dies, like when my mum died of liver failure, we knew that she died of liver failure. So you have an answer and you have a little bit of closure and it's a little bit easier to understand. But with suicide, the last time I saw Ben, he was smiling and walking around healthy as anything. So when you find out that someone like that's died 
and you know how much you fear death and that everyone wants to live, it doesn't make sense to you. So it brings a lot of questions, the yeah. the what ifs, the regrets. Um, and so I talk through them all with my counsellor and she just has kind of said, you know, you sometimes have to logic them with a professional if that makes sense. So how could have, with that text message, you didn't know where Ben's mindset was. How would you know to call? It was a Sunday afternoon. But that's kind of one of the things or, um, mm. yeah. That's kind of how I go about it. Mm. And then you do that outside of the counselling now as well as yeah. like r- rationalising in your own head and yeah. remembering the truth of how you feel about it. Absolutely. And busting some myths as well too. So what's really helped me going and seeing a specialist is that, so there's a rumour that everyone writes a note when they take their own life when actually it's less than half of people and not everyone plans their day out as well. So um, before they take their life, for some people they go into crisis and it can be an immediate kind of decision. Apparently the police call it sometimes the 40-second decision. Um, right. So Why 40 seconds? Because that's how, how long it can take. Yeah, the snap, yeah. Um, and so I was having a lot of, like, regret and all this sort of stuff, thinking Ben had planned his day, he wanted to see me at family dinner, um, and I didn't see him. But what, going to the counsellor and actually finding out, no, not a lot of people actually leave notes and not a lot of people plan their day. They go into crisis. Yeah. Um, kind of helped me as well realise that. Yeah. I would never have known yeah, that. There's nothing that I could have done. Yeah. It, it, I think it really highlights our fragility, doesn't it? Like yeah. how we, our, I mean, if scientifically our biochemistry, but also our spiritually, our balance of our soul, you know, like um, for me, that's what it, I think, I mean, one thing I felt like before I got really depressed and um, I did, I had a lot, way less empathy for mm-hmm. uh, our ability to be so different as people, you know, like if someone was a bit different to me, I would, I wouldn't, I'd have less empathy, but um, I think stretching out, understand our, our, our you know, per- peripheral as wide as possible to really just empathize or just try to lean towards that way more, like, mm. Um, than the, than than the judgments, the closed, um, conclusive feelings about things. Um, is there any other like myths that you feel like you want to debunk? I'm sure you already have on your your social and stuff. Um, yeah. So like the first one was so talking about suicide with someone will not make them more likely to take their life. I know that some cultures believe that, but the best thing you can do is actually have that honest conversation with someone. Mm. The second thing is if someone tells you that they're suicidal. You need to take it seriously and you don't have to handle that by yourself. You can call Lifeline, you can call a counsellor, you can call a parent, you can call anyone, but you need to take it seriously. Um, so a lot of people think that someone who says, it, oh, oh, don't worry, they won't do it, but that's actually not true as well. And the last big myth I'd like to um, completely crush is the idea of permission. And what I mean by that is if someone tells you that they're going to take their own life, you might feel they might tell you don't tell anyone and you feel as a mate, shit, they're going to be angry at me if I pass this on. I'm not saying post it on Facebook or do anything stupid with it, but you have permission to go and get help with that and you don't need to feel bad about that because ultimately you're saving the person's life. And so I think that's a big one too. Most people tell their friends and people can be really young hearing that information. It's okay to tell someone. That's a great, that's a great one. That sounds like a great one because I suppose to understand it a bit more, they're only saying don't tell anyone because of the same thing that's taken them to the dark place, which Absolutely. is the shame. So Absolutely. it's really good. One thing we talk about being helpful um, to the collective uh, collective potential community um, is 
I, I see you and I see how you've turned this sort of suf- suffering and you gave sort of a purpose or meaning to it by mm-hmm. creating, you know, like you said, you came obsessed by finding out more. And I think it's such an inspiration to people to realize that you can use your suffering as inspiration to create something beautiful out of it. Mm-hmm. So I just had to get, yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah, I want to thank you as well, just for like, just as a, for having come through what you've come through mm. in the way that you have. Like, I feel like my heart rings with joy in a way that you've, 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 um, you're at the stage you are right now with it, which mm. is just, um, such this steady knowing and love and, um, peace. And, um, I know I'm sure you won't feel like that all the time, but just mm. generally where you've taken this, um, is, so admirable and so uh, beautiful. Yeah, I feel that what Ryan is saying as well. Like when you're saying beautiful, like I feel beautiful. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. You know, I um, I've, there's a thing called the dark night of the soul, um, and it's um, a way of reframing that when we are in dark, deep, sad moments in our life, that we can understand that we're going through a dark night, so that we can learn something from it. Mm-hmm. And there's, uh, it's a missing. It's it's missing in our day to day in Western culture that the things that take you into the dark places can also be what bring you more light, closer to the light, closer to yourself. And that has no way of shape or form in my mind to say that it excuses the pain or lessens mm. it, um, but it can definitely awaken us. And I even think the word suicide has so much darkness around it. So if you were to pull out what what is almost your lesson from this dark night of the soul, mm-hmm. what would it be? Um, I think I've just learnt a lot more about suicide from literally something like people say committing suicide and the reason why is because committing suicide used to be a, a crime. That's why, you know, you commit burglary, you commit whatever you commit suicide and so the biggest thing I'm kind of taking away from it is using the word completed or that they ended their life because I believe that the people that made that choice were in so much pain that we can't begin to even judge them Mm. for the choice um, that they made and look Mm. um, I used to believe that everything happens for a reason I don't believe that um, anymore but uh, what I do think that I want to take from this is that it can happen to anyone but the key is looking after each other and having honest conversations and being okay to talk about suicide thank you thank you so much for coming in georgia and um i really believe that if you need any extra help or conversations we've got all the links below of course it's check out lifeline to kick start it have that conversation i think we said earlier conversations really do ignite change and you will never know who listens to this, Georgia, mm. ever, who needed to hear this conversation or in some point in their life might remember this for a time that they've had like you. And so I say that's the beauty of what you're doing right now or even mm. what we're doing. And I think that um, let's keep doing it. And if you want to find out more, go to collectivepotential.com.au and we'll have a link there of even maybe what Georgia's doing in the future. So mm. thank you for a beautiful strong and powerful conversation often when we speak about this sort of thing it can leave you a bit raw so make sure that if you are feeling a bit vulnerable talk to a friend uh or the lifeline number is 13 11 14 